0: A video nasty i wouldn't i have far too much how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, I've seen one. i actually don't need to see visually what i know is in that film the Video Nasty's podcast, my name's Christopher Brown. After the success of Dario Argento's Animal Trilogy, an unofficial term for three giallo films that he created in the early 70s, with The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, The Cat of Nine Tails and Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Argento had moved away briefly from the giallo and filmed two Italian TV dramas and a period comedy called Five Days in 1973. It was, however, his decision to move back to thrillers and indeed the giallo that uh, creates what is arguably, be, arguably his best film. Profundo Russo, Deep Red, the film we're going to discuss today from 1975. You could argue, indeed, it isn't only just one of the best horror films ever made, well, one of the best giallo films ever made, I should say, but also one of the best horrors as well. Which is good, because there's another film on this list that you could equally argue that Argento made, which is one of the best horror films as well, with Suspiria, which we'll talk about in the future. But Deep Red made Argento not just famous in Italy, but also famous internationally as well. And um, indeed, it is a film that John Carpenter uh, frequently refers to as an influence on why he made Halloween. The thing about Deep Red is it is deeply beautiful, wonderfully tense, frightening, and violent. It fulfills everything you want from this kind of uh, thriller. Uh, certainly, the, there's elements of a confusing um, and unusual plot. From uh, and you know, it, it, there's a lot going on. Shall we say? It has some of the most beautifully filmed and staged shots. of a a, a horror film and indeed as well it features um, exactly the kind of violence and uh, uh, extremeness that you want to kind of uh, jolt you and shock you awake this is a film with uh, Argento at his most pomp to the point that one shot even references Edward Hooper's Nighthawks painting from 1943 the old oil on canvas uh, painting of uh, a downtown diner um, which is uh, which surely shows that you know he, he wishes to elevate way above the what you'd expect um, such a potentially a grubby content would be from a story after all which is about uh, people being offed by a black gloved killer. <laughs> And you will kill again. You're getting closer and closer to the most unnatural kind of death. Ah! 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 Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Ah! Murder runs wild blood runs cold, deep red. The conjecture is that an act of bloodshed was once committed in that house. What is it? Didn't you hear that? No. What was it? I don't know. Everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, death is running with you. to say the the plot is kind of a little convoluted and a little confusing in truth but it effectively follows um, the story of a, a medium played by Masha Merrill uh, and a pianist who is played by the British actor David Hemmings and also uh, features as well uh, Daria Nicolardi who we have spoken about before in Tenebrae in um, Inferno she also stars in opera and phenomena from these uh, great um, Argento films from this, you know, this, this heyday period of his as well, and also helped write uh, Suspiria, again, we'll, we'll talk about in the future. But effectively it has supernatural themes and and indeed bear in mind that Four Flies for Grey Velvet also featured some religious themes as well. So it's not that much of a surprise that this medium seems to feel that there is a killer in the audience that can't be identified. And various people become sucked into the the web of this murder and, and get touched by it as well. Eventually, the uh, the mystery expands, and we find out exactly who's behind it, and, and tr- are treated as such to a glorious death scene to to polish the film off. Something that sits very strongly within all of uh, Argento's early Jalo films, in particular, *The Bird with the Crystal Plumage*, which very much uh, adores its, uh, its 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 violence and its uh, brutal brutal ending. So, Deep Red was actually shot on location in Turin, in Italy, uh, over a period of round about um, four months. Agüero chose, chose Turin allegedly because there were uh, practicing saints in a stair, and uh, it would give the, the you know a certain kind of uh, tension and uh, a bit of edge to what he was trying to do. Bizarrely the film had a, an unusual title to start with called The Tooth Tiger as well rather than this um, rather vagueness but I think Deep Red and Profundo Russo, what it does is kind of uh, highlight the, uh, the brightness and the, the vividness of the palette which is used through the film. You know, we already know and it's been used, many, you know, at this point he was... He, incredibly adept in picking uh shots and making the the cities look beautiful and very artistic but also very cold and quite troubling and unsettling as well so you know when, when we look at the the crystal plumage we see a uh, the, all the scenes with the art gallery where it's all very clean and modern um but also as well there is this ominous edge of night encroaching upon the the brightness of the color and then obviously the uh, the glass. Providing a, uh, a, a a metallics, providing a a, a counterance to the to the blood. Here, as we've said before as well, the the reference to it to Nighthawks Hawks, that uh, that Hooper painting, um, offers a similar thing. We see the, the darkness and uh, and quietness outside, and then this oasis of lightness and brightness within the with, within the the diner that's, uh, that, that's, that's pictured. And, uh, and that is a, a, an image and a shot which um, Argento replicates. Indeed, he also, I'd uh, say, a certain kind of, um, th- th- he's very keen on on spending a lot of time in these Turin, empty, isolated streets. Um, they almost feel like a, uh, a sound stage. They're so, they're so eerie, you know, and, and uh, they, they, they he creates a, a version of the city which is uh, offish and uh and intimidating because the, the apparently no one seemed to be around for miles. And like many um shallow, uh filmic deaths, the decision was made to make them um more relatable to the audience, shall we say. The reason for that was uh, it was given by co-writer but Bernardino uh, Zapponi, who uh, said that they they were trying to find ways that make killing people that the audience could relate to in a in a in a different way. So you know, um, for example, somebody is garroted with a with a necklace, and we we can all imagine, of course, the the feeling of uh, you know being caught. By something around the neck, by pulling on whether it be your t-shirt or, or indeed uh, you know a piece of jewellery that you have around your neck or a lanyard, the yanks that you. you can imagine, the pain of, of that we've all we've all experienced that kind of that kind of pain. So it kind of uses that to kind of you can feel it more. And this is stuff that gets used around a lot, you know, when we think about, um, and the influence of that kind of decision-making. You know, we spoke about um, Norman J. Warren's uh, terror and the the attack in the Achilles' heel. That's repeated in, you know, again, video Nasty, Evil Dead, with the pencil in the Achilles' heel. And the... Um, and time and time again within... Argento's back catalogue of films, um, people being, uh, you know, stabbed in certain ways or attacked in certain ways. The idea being that you know, people can't relate really to the feeling of being properly stabbed in the chest because no one's been, you know, if you're probably stabbed in the chest, that's probably the end to you. Or indeed, being shot, no one really has an understanding of unless you have been shot, which in which case, very unfortunate for you. Um, you know what that actually feels like we 've spoken before uh, i think I believe it's been maybe though has been a while of the fact that Argento wore the black gloves themselves for some of these films, and indeed he does for this one as well when we talk about we spoke about the burning we spoke about um Certain scenes being replicated by the director because how he wanted it to be done with the you know the 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 shears being held in a certain way was just easier for the director to do it now what i'd say is that probably isn't that surprising, and it probably isn't that surprising because um Yes, it is easier. I think in the past, what we've spoken about is the fact that, you know, obviously if the if the director puts himself in the position of the killer, that's, something's going on there. That is something happening, isn't it? You know, whether it's deliberate or not, the director is the director not just of the the, the scene, the vista, which in, in case of Deep Red is frequently very beautiful, but also the violence within it and that kind of gut punch, you must watch this gore. What it does is kind of bleed the lines between the director's job and 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 you know why would you make these kind of films you know you know the when a horror film shows the violence the stab in the Achilles heel and creates the 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 wince of the audience that frequently is a, a part of a, a a storytelling device which. Is used obviously to get a reaction. Now the director is part of that because he's he's, he's shot and framed and been, you know maybe even wrote the script to kind of make that happen and, and, and make it look a certain way and evo- evoke that certain item. I don't I, you know it, it, it's not that surprising that therefore then that the actual gloved like, hand itself is also the director and kind of merges all these things together. Is the director doing the actual piercing of the violence psychologically? in the audience's mind but also visually on the screen okay getting me the fucking gcse film studies kind of level of of uh, analysis out the way there um the reason argento himself says um that he was persuaded was because it would be quicker easier he'd get what he wanted and everyone would be in a, in a situation that he thought would be right Carlo Rombaldi also helped out in terms of the special effects. Rombaldi obviously in the past working on films such as Alien, King Kong remake from 76, and uh, E.T. Along with as well, films we've spoken about in the past, A Bay of Bloods, and the Warhol Frankenstein as well. And of course Possession which is the uh, that tentacled monster under the bed which uh, we we have uh, definitely discussed in the past in terms of influence uh, apparently um, there has been many different forms of influences obviously and you can see that not just here but in terms of you know how jalo you know we are slap banging the giallo boom in italy and, and um, you know few films in that list uh, really get close to this um, that are outside of Argento. Maybe, you know, you could argue film like maybe the strange Vice in this ward, which is a fantastically entertaining movie, but, uh, certainly shot in a different way. But, um, the, um, the chat at the beginning of deep red, uh, and on this parapsychology, uh, course elements is, you know, part of scanners effectively or allegedly, um, and you could also argue that Halloween Two features a very similar death by scald and water, um, that is uh, that that's featured here as well. These are fair enough. Um, I think you know if you're really going to look at you know like for likes, you know let's look at uh, A Bay of Blood and um, the influence that had on. Um, Friday the 13th, because there's some shot-for-shots in there, rather than some of this stuff, which is, you know, in the mix. But, you know, you could equally argue Halloween. They don't Jason X as, a, you know, a similar kind of scolding uh, water death, but it's done with dry ice, you know what I mean? And where do you draw the line with that kind of stuff? The film has been uh, released in a variety of different formats throughout the years. So, originally the film was 120 minutes long, um, for the Italian version. Now, it was cut by 20-odd minutes, basically just to bring it down. Now, there's a lot of debate about which is the better version, you know. The US version does feel tighter, but for me, a good giallo, like a bit of a good murder mystery, you know. You can give it a bit of time to breathe, you know. It, it, particularly because the plot's kind of a, a little bit meandering in terms of what what where the mystery goes. So you can kind of take your time with it, and it, it, it kind of helps. But, it, you know... Oddly, well, not oddly, because if you're going to cut, you know, cut the extraneous romantic subplot, the uh, the ch- the stuff between David Hemmings and Dario Nicolardi was basically just jettisoned as, as as the quickest way to get to the point. Now that's a shame, and um, for me, mainly because you know you got this like nice 1970s feel, the good chemistry between the two actors. It it's a lot of fun and it breaks up the you know, you could have quite a quite a serious. Quite sombre and quite un- weird, shallow. But you know, and so Agento kind of tries to break a lot of that stuff up with, you know, this this kind of boiling relationship kind of thing and a lot of quite flirty relationship. You take that out of the way, it gets a bit more serious. So from my point of view, not great. Also, some of the subplot involved in the screaming the kid was exercised, and you know, a, a, a lot of the uh, the violence was kind of toned down. And indeed, in various points that the kind of film has had various odd releases. It was called Susperia 2 in Japan because it was released after Susperia. And obviously there is no connection between the two films whatsoever, but you know, hey, okay, get what you can. As we said already, it was you know, originally kind of called the saber Tiger, which was going to be because of um the fact that uh, Argento really enjoyed naming his films after animals. So obviously you have got the animal trilogy at the start, and it kind of be a, a theme that ran through them. What was actually happening was that um, other filmmakers were putting animal titles within the title of their their giallo. Um, so it kind of it lost as you know it lost its uniqueness to Argento. So films like you know the Black Belly of the Tarantula, etc. And then you get some. It also has some. Um, apart from its its Italian title Profundo Russo um, various um, variations on on, on on that phrase The Hatchet Murders which again is, is designed as a a rather um, exploitation-y kind of way of calling the film So the police set video was seized by police during the nasties panic uh, and has had various cuts etc over the years so that 1982 release from uh, Fletcher VHS was this export version that we've already spoken about, the, the US version. So it, was, it had been already cut by 22 seconds and had been trimmed of some of its violence as well, but got seized, but didn't get um, convicted, as it were. So it was just it was just picked up as, as, and as such as one of these Section 3 films didn't get released again until 1993, when it was released with 11 seconds of cuts. Now, these were done to uh, cuts which were perceived to be potentially animal violence. Four seconds of showing two dogs fighting, and seven seconds of a a lizard being impaled by a pin. Which, from a, a view of the narrative of the film... It's a problem because now the kid just gets slapped for no reason rather than the fact she's <laughs> they torture and this lizard. But anyway. And uh, obviously if you remove some of the animal cruelty to some of the decision making for later on it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Um, so the film was uh, then released... A- In 2005, uh, with the seven seconds of cuts from the dogs removed. The reason why that was, it was pretty clear, and if you look at it closely, it basically looks like the dogs are just playing around with each other and actually dog fighting. Um, But, and there's a reframing device for the lizard to an attempt to kind of at least tell that story narratively. there's an american version where there's a shortened export version was cut further to get some of the violence out the way so it would get in our racing there's a no cert no version of like a, a of of that as well so there's an uncut version of the export version in 2010 the um, arrow video found got evidence from the film distributors that the shot with the lizard was a trick shot so the lizard wasn't injured while uh, while the film was being made, so that got released uncut in the u k and then finally we come to today the uh, twenty sixteen arrow blue release four k scan everything uncut it's a beast and also came with the soundtrack which we've not discussed yet and it's a bit of a belt and braces c d soundtrack that sat on the on the product. So the soundtrack is from goblin and it 's goblin 's first soundtrack, but also really the first formation of the uh, the band Goblin as well at that point they were recording under um, uh, the name the Cherry Five with a different lineup and uh, they were brought in with, uh, to work with Giorgio gasolini who 's a pianist and composer for this project so a guy called um Walter Martino, who's on drums, uh, leaves the band at the start of this process and joins another band called Libra. At this point, the band is Claudio Simonetti, Massimo Mortani, and um, Fabio Pignatelli as well. So Martino was kind of recording on a fair chunk of the... uh, is is on a fair chunk of the album anyway, but he's replaced by another guy, um... Agostino Marangolo. So three or four days recording in Gasolini, This composer has a fight with Argento and leaves. And so Argento basically says, "Listen to the lads, to the band. You have a go at you know trying to get what you can out out, out, out of this." So he gives them one day to record, to write, and one day to record. Um, so distinguish this from a, from another album that we're going to release. They changed the name. To Goblin, so this is going to be like their you know, this is the Goblin, and um, you know, band's name. You know, it's a slightly different lineup and it's a slightly different feel because it's a, a soundtrack. and Goblin sounds suitably horrible and hor- you know, uh, horror ish. The obviously now, you know, it seems ridiculous, but they did the, the album. No, there's no expectation of it. It was recorded quick, released fast, and um, became a uh, one million. Cop uh, copy seller in Italian charts, and spent 52 weeks a year in the charts as well. It's worth remembering with Goblin that the band itself actually only stayed together for a, quite a short period of time and split up after um, doing the Zombie Dawn of the Dead soundtrack. So, uh, what what is effectively, although it's Romero's Dawn of the Dead, you know, it, it, the music they did really was you know broader. The anti-soundtrack is for, for Argento's international cut. But yeah, Profundo Russo brought the world Goblin. There you go. That's not a not a bad uh, legacy, <laughs> nothing else, although there's plenty of decent legacy from this. The film, I would argue, where does it sit? Okay, so where does it sit between Argento's um, legacy? So, <laughs> he goes from this to Suspiria, and we're going to discuss Suspiria in the future. But the, 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 the jump is is big. From a thematic point of view, it's not as big as you'd think, though. So, Four *Flights of Grey Velvet already indicates elements of the supernatural within his work. Deep Red kind of has that, but it throws it a bit more to the forefront in terms of the fact that, you know, it, it, it's more expected that you would expect that mediums can understand this stuff and, and that kind of thing. And obviously, that goes full pelt completely to Supernatural when we talk about Suspiria and Inferno, before he swings it right back round again to being just a pure thriller who done it with Tenebrae, although with even more heightened violence and more operatic violence. As we've said, it has legacy, not just in terms of its kills, but also in terms of what it's tried to do over the years. and its legacy within the Italian film industry. And of course, with the success of Deep Red, it allows um, Argento to really go off the rails (laughs) and to create Suspiria as well. Apparently, Romero was Uh, contacted by producer Claudio Argento to direct a 3D remake when all that shit was the range about 10 years ago Um, I think it was 2010 actually Um, of Deep Red and Claudio said it would involve Dario or Romero went that's interesting I could do that, that sounds like a great idea goes to Dario who has no idea (laughs) the film is going to get remade and funnily enough the entire thing gets shit canned relatively quickly obviously with uh, Romero declining the offer and that film never being truly uh, created or released. So as I say, a seminal soundtrack, a beautiful film, an insane plot, and a, a wonderful, telling, and and, and brilliantly uh, cohesive central uh, performance from David Hemmings and Darren Nicolardi, despite all the insanity that surrounds it. If you've not seen Deep Red, for fuck's sake, go and watch it now. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Uh, apologies for the delay in uh, in the in, in getting this out. It's uh, it's just been one of those few weeks really. Um glad glad that it's all sorted now though. Thank you to Mark Forrest who contacted me on the website, which you can do as well. Go to thelasthorrorpodcast.com or videonastiespodcast.com. You can leave a comment on any of the uh, articles there, or any of your opinions of the films we've been discussing. Mark says, Just wanted to say that I've only recently been introduced to your work, and I'm really enjoying The Last Horror Podcast. I'm really sorry that I appear to have started when you decided to take a break. Cheers, Mark. Although to be fair, a lot of people would argue that this the podcast's been taking a break for about a year. But uh, that's mainly of <laughs> my own uh, other projects, kind of getting in the way. However, at least I've got your History of Horror podcast and the very video nasty one to keep me enlightened and entertained. All the best, Mark. Well, yes, thank you. Um, I'm proud of all my. I, I like all my podcasts. Um, but um, so I, I've said 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 hello and thank you for for the, for, for, for being in contact. Um, yeah, they're all quite a bit different, but uh, hopefully um, you, you get some pleasure out of all of them. Um, so I am very much enjoying returning to, to the Vigionasties uh, theme at the moment. So um, that's been good. If you want to get a hold of me, please do. Uh, email address, video at gmail.com. As I said, go to the website, or you can get me on Twitter, that's at orange underscore monkey, if for some reason you think Twitter is a good idea anymore, <laughs> despite the fact it's an absolute hellhole. Um... So from uh, the big brash uh, beautiful well shot uh, you know director in his pomp of deep reds we go to a very different 2 we're going to be covering GBH not um the channel 4 uh, esteemed documentary uh, the, um, drama which uh, came out afterwards now, uh, the Cliff Twemlow shot director VHS, uh, British, uh, crime drama, um, which is a very particular piece of art. Uh, and, uh, we get to talk about, you know, DIY, you know, film really, which I think is a good thing, um. And certainly, you know these first attempts at that, and you know, film stuff on VHS and then edit it together, on, on, on you know dubbing it together, and a very particular and an unusual beast it is too. So we get to talk about what is a and a fascinating life with Twemla. Um Despite you know, you can be sniffy about these type of people who you know did, did it themselves, and obviously all the tech is so crap and ancient, but. um I respect it. You know, it's a punky ethos, isn't it? You know, let's just fucking make the film ourselves, and I think that's great. Anyway, that's next week. So, until then, take care. Speak to you soon. Goodbye. Seen a video nasty? I wouldn't. I have far too <laughs> much. How how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, you seen one. I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film.